Welcome, everybody. Matt and I are your holiday weekend anchors. Have you noticed on TV the news that people from the newsroom you've never seen before get to be the anchors? That's us. We'll see you again on Labor Day. Uh, you know, there's quite a bit of pressure on us weekend anchors, especially the holiday ones, because we don't do this a lot. And so you have to figure out what you're going to do. And, and we don't, we're on in a series right now. We're kind of in between. So we call this a one-off. And that's even harder because you don't even have a direction. So you're just sort of, what am I going to do? And, and so I made the mistake this week of watching a, a video podcast thing about how to improve your preaching. <laughs> At the end, you're going to say he didn't learn anything. I know that. So he was, the, the speaker was talking about, you know, well, you can make it five minutes shorter, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything because five minutes shorter of boring is still boring. So uh, he's talking about TED Talks being 18 minutes because that's supposed to be the amount of time people can pay attention, 18 minutes or so, and then you'd lose interest. Uh, but he said, even 18 minutes of boring is boring. So I got that. I was waiting for some real help. What am I going to be not to be boring? So towards the end, you know, I'm waiting for it. It's coming, he keeps talking about don't be boring, and then he says, here's the key, be fascinating. <laughs> I've never been fascinating in my whole life. That doesn't help me a bit. So, when you're trying to preach, you try to figure out a title to a sermon because that sets everything up. If you get the title wrong, it kind of just throws everything out of kilter. Well, that's another bit of pressure to add to this. A fascinating title, and I just couldn't come up with one, I'm sorry. So I was texting my friend Steve over in St. Louis, who's been my friend for years and years, telling him I'm not coming up with a title. And so he sent me one. So I'm going to use it. Here it is. God's message to you from me. <laughs> How about that? If, if God isn't fascinating, nobody is. And that adds a sufficient amount of gravitas to this whole thing, God speaking. But I really do hope that God could speak through our words, my words, uh, and that because we've been together today, uh, maybe something changes with you and with me. Uh, last week, uh, we finished up the series. Matt talked about the decisions that were made. Uh, a lot of great decisions. Our series is about this is us, who our mission and our vision and our values and those sorts of things. And if you haven't picked one of these cards up, that gives our mission, our unique mission and our unique values on the back to remind you what they are, where we're headed, what we want to be, what we hope to become. Uh, this would be a nice bookmark for your Bible or put it on your refrigerator or something. This is kind of us, who we aspire to be in this community where God has placed us. But if you've made, just made a decision, maybe you're seeking, or maybe you've been here for years and you feel stagnant or stuck you often ask the question, what do I do next? I've made this decision, and now what? What happens after this decision? Or what happens when I have been in this place for such a long time and I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere? Well, there are some things that churches all do that are different. But then there are some things that churches do that are quite a bit alike. And that's what I want to talk about just for a few minutes this morning. This is not rocket science. If you've been a part of church for any time, you're going to know this. But I want to remind you of something that might kind of spur you on, especially during the summer months, to be just a little more cognizant of how you are working hard to become more like Jesus. So the best place to go was the early church. 
You know, there, uh, in, in Acts 2, we read the story of the, the great sermon that Peter preaches and the, all the number of conversions that, that happened, the decisions that made after that sermon. The Bible says 3,000, and that's really 3,000 households. Lots of people made decisions for Jesus. But the question is what they did next, how they uh, approached their new Christian life, their new walk with Jesus. And I think those things that they did give us a clue into what we should be doing to keep cultivating our relationships. And so I'm going to read this familiar passage to many of you from Acts 2, starting with verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, uh, before we go on, I forgot to do one thing. To boost my confidence a little bit, I want you to say this after me. Ready? This is going to be fascinating. <laughs> Ready? This is going to be fascinating. All right, it will be, won't it? Later on, after we read that story, that fascinating story, really, because look what happened. Just this sermon, and all of a sudden, these people who were from all over the world got together and began to impact their community. And people began to notice it says they found favor with all the people. That's not a few, that's all. The people in the community noticed something was different about these new followers of Jesus. A little bit later in chapter 4, we read about another sermon that Peter and John preached. And it says, many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to be about 5,000. Again, 5,000 households from 3,000 to 5,000 in just a short time. They made such an impression that it began to threaten the religious leaders. In fact, they put them in prison because of their preaching. But even at that, the religious leaders grudgingly admitted something about what they were seeing happening in Jerusalem. Later on in chapter 4, they say, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus and it was recognized. They'd been there. So we see in just this short time, Christians, followers of Jesus, ordinary people have achieved extraordinary results as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. And the book of Acts tells the story of the expansion of the church throughout the known world of the time. These early believers found favor with all of the people and continued growing in numbers. How did this happen so quickly? Well, in Acts 2.42 and following, we see some of the things that we did that cultivated this new way of living. And you, if you've been a part of a church for very long, you've been in Bible studies for very long, you have studied this passage, and it will be very obvious what I'm going to say, but let me remind them to you. There were three things that were happening in this early church that ought to be happening in every church. One of the things that was happening was worship. They worshiped together. It says, they praised God daily even, but they gathered together for worship and prayer and the breaking of bread and really also the communion, the breaking of the bread. 
So they were worshiping. They were also growing. They listened to the apostles' teaching. Now this is something you probably have thought of before, but let me remind you. There was no Bible. So what was the apostles' teaching? What they had heard and experienced in the presence of Jesus. That was the apostles' teaching. The message of Jesus and his life and his work. Today, this is what we would call... I've got to find some here. The red letters in your Bible. Now, you have to realize when this was actually written, there weren't really red letters in the original. But some people took a clue from, then Jesus said, and made those red after that. And and the apostles' teaching was really what they had learned, these red letters from Jesus. This is what they talked about. This is what they preached and proclaimed. And this is what had such a transforming effect on the community. And then they served together. It says they had everything in common and gave generously to those who had need. Now you must realize again that this great holiday feast that brought all of these Jews together to celebrate the Passover from all parts of the known world. Here they were and this conversion experience takes place and they're all staying there wanting to know what's going to happen next. Hoping that the Lord will even return very soon. And so they've gathered together and they begin to stretch the resources and so they, they're beginning to need food and they're to get places to stay and, and the, you know, food for Uncle Moshe in the basement. And they've got Airbnbs loaded with people, no, no food. And they begin to share everything they have in common in order that they might stay together and wait for what's going to happen next. And it wasn't until the persecution they had to scatter a little bit later. And again, they were so generous and served so, one another with so much intensity that you remember later in the book of Acts, Paul's collecting an offering for who? The people in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem who has overextended themselves being generous to those around them. This got noticed and they enjoyed the favor of all the people. And these spiritual habits, worshiping, growing, and serving are still the habits that we need to cultivate today. Now there's one thing that, uh, that we need to think about in terms of how these are connected. And these are connected by the word together. They did it together. That's where the spiritual power takes place. Worshiping together gives us encouragement to say, I am not alone. There are a group of people who believe and share the same values that I do. I'm not alone in this world and I can face this world. I can influence this world because I'm a part of something bigger than me. We can grow together. We can learn from one another. We can learn from one another's failures as well as our victories. And we can also serve together. I I, I can tell you from experience, when you serve together with people, you grow closer in a way that you've never gone before. This togetherness is a way of connecting us with one another and also connecting us with the Spirit of God. So these three habits are practiced by this early church. And it says in the first part of that verse, they devoted themselves to them. They just didn't do them when they felt like it every other weekend or so. Maybe not even that much. They were daily doing this. They were worshiping God. They were serving. They were, they were doing all these kinds of things, growing together because they devoted themselves. You know, there are people that have hobbies. And, and I hate to mention a hobby because one of you might have that hobby. But, you know, when people have hobbies, they really get pretty fanatic about their hobbies. And they will spend money and time to go to conventions and learn. And, and you go... That doesn't interest me at all. I mean, you, you know some people like that. You may be a person like that. The Christians were that way with their walk of faith. They were devoted 
to each other and to Jesus and to these practices. So has your Christian walk become a hobby rather than a habit? Are these things beginning to slip or to slide and you're beginning to feel stale or stagnant or far from God? These very basic things, very basic and easy things, anybody can do this. It's not hard. Ordinary people can do this. But as they do this and as they devote themselves to this, extraordinary things can happen. Extraordinary things can happen when we work together. Do people know, just like with Peter and John, that you've been with Jesus? Earlier this week, I talked to a, a, a lady from our congregation who was involved in a small fender bender, and she said it was her fault. And she said she was really worried about the reaction of the other person. And she's the, the, the woman got out of the car, and, and the first thing she wanted to know was, how, how are you? I'm, we're not hurt. My children are not hurt. Everything's fine. And they, they did what they needed to do with the accident, and they went on their way. And, and the, the woman I was talking to this week said, she was so understanding and kind and patient. She must have been a Christian. We hope so. Today, many of you will go out to lunch. And your server is going to say, hmm, they were so impatient, demanding. They must have been to church today. <laughs> now, if you don't believe that, ask a server. And they're bad tippers. How do you want to be remembered as a person who has been with Jesus or as a person who went to church today? Dave Barry, the comedian, said this, a person who is nice to you but rude to the waiter is not a nice person. Henry Blackaby said, you can't stay the way you are and go with God. So that if you are engaged in these spiritual practices, really engaged in those three spiritual practices, you will not be the same today as you were last week and the week before. If you look at yourself right now and say, I'm, I'm not any more like Jesus now than I was last year, perhaps, just perhaps, working on some of these spiritual practices, being more devoted to the spiritual practices that the early church made such a significant impact on their world would also make an impact on you and those around you. These habits can help every generation grow to be more like Jesus. So, how, what, what, what does Jesus look like? Well, of course, we learn from the red letters. But Paul reminds us of the qualities of Jesus in Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, against these things, there is no law. In other words, it's never wrong to do these things. It's never wrong to be this kind of person. Even if you don't feel like it, the best thing to do is be like this person, to be like the person of Jesus who displays his qualities. And, and where do we learn about these qualities? Where do we grow in these qualities? It's in growing and learning and serving together. So rather than focusing all, those, all, all of those words, I want to just focus on one word today to sort of start the second half of what I want to talk about. Don't worry, I'm watching. Remember, it. if you take five minutes out of it, it can make anything better. Maybe not fascinating, but better. So I want to I I look at kindness real quick. Kindness is the ability to be understanding, generous to people, even the people who don't deserve it. Much like love, kindness is a compassionate thing, seeing the world from what, the way other people see them. I, I read a book recently called The Kindness Challenge, and it kind of got me thinking about this. The writer of The Kindness Challenge is named Shanti Feldon. I don't know that it's an overtly Christian book, but in the book, she says, this quality of kindness is most demonstrated in the life of Jesus. 
So she's got to be a believer or a respecter of believers in some way because she says, if you want to know what kindness looks like, look at Jesus. And she goes on to say this about the state of our world today, and I think she's right on. Let me read it carefully. People today routinely say things over social media, email, and text that they would never utter out loud or face-to-face. That's for sure. Road rage, in Bloomington especially, confrontations are common. Politicians viciously attack each other. Television news commentators talk over each other and the issues. Mean girls and boys openly roll their eyes at school and bosses feel it's perfectly acceptable to express their disdain. I'm sure you could come up with other examples. But you know it's the problem's not those people out there. The problem starts with me. Unkindness is an epidemic in our culture. I can't even hardly watch news anymore. The unkindness that we see around us, unkindness, the way people treat one another. To become like Jesus, we must develop that quality of kindness. Now, again, there's lots of ways to do that, but I'm taking Ms. Feldham's advice. She recommends in her book what she calls the 30-day kindness challenge. Okay? This is that there will be a test afterwards, so listen carefully. Now, again, this is not anything that's hard, but it's hard to do. Kindness comes out in three ways. One's in your thoughts, one's in your words, and one's in what you do. So here's what she suggests you to pick out a person, because you can be kind. I'm kind in general, but being kind specifically is sometimes harder to do. I'm a really kind person, but people know better. And if you're getting elbowed by somebody right now, that means you might be that person who needs to be kinder. Think of a person with whom you need more kindness. Somebody that rubs you the wrong way or somebody that just, it's just not working very well for you that you could practice the kindness challenge on. Have you thought of anybody yet? If not, you can ask for suggestions from your friends and family later. Okay? Think of somebody. Okay? And here's the, these are so easy, but I'm going to tell you, they're going to be hard. Number one, survey says, do not allow yourself to think or say anything negative about your person to them or anyone else. Kindness starts with your thoughts. So what do you think about that other person? If they're unkind to you, there's probably a reason. They've had a bad day. They've had a bad life. They're hurried. Uh, John Maxwell says hurting people hurt people. There's a reason for that unkindness. It's probably not even you. And you just happen to be in the way. So don't think things negative about people, any people, especially your person, okay? That's the step. If if you don't do that, the rest of it's hard. Number two, every day for 30 days, find one thing that you can sincerely praise or encourage that person about and tell them, and your bonus point is, someone else. Find some way to appreciate Write notes, texts, emails, cards, I don't know, that you can say something positive. Remember, you got to think about it sometimes. It starts with coming up with something here and then saying it, affirming it. And if you can say it to some other person, it just sort of reinforces the cycle. Now, you're not doing this for points, folks. This is not for points. This is not for anything but just to be kind because why? Jesus has been kind to you. The kindness of God has led us to repentance, and we ought to be like Jesus. So that's number two. Number three, 
every day, do one small act of kindness for that person. And they don't have to know it's from you, or they don't have to know that you've intentionally done this. Just be kind to that person in some way. Do something for them, with them, that will encourage them. It's one small act of service and kindness to that person. Now, that will be hard for you to do. Maybe one day, maybe two, but try to do that for a long period of time could be hard. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to warn you, just because you do this with that other person doesn't mean that you're going to see instant results. Understand? Sometimes it will backfire on you, but you should keep going. There was a young man who decided to be a kind person, and he was in the post office uh, waiting in line, and he saw an older man buying some postcards uh, and putting a stamp on it, and then he was going to write, and he looked at the young man and said, you know, my, I'm a little shaky. Would you write the address for me on the postcard? And the young man said, sure. And he said, well, while you're at it, could you write this message? And, he, and while you're at it, why don't you just sign it? Okay. He handed it to the older man, and the older man looked at it and said, I want you to put a P.S. on this. Handed it back to the young man, and he said, Here, here's the message. P.S. I'm sorry for the sloppy handwriting. <laughs> Sometimes doing deeds of kindness backfires on you, but you're not doing it for anything, for praise, or for what's going to happen to the other person. You are doing it for you because it's the Christ-like thing to do. Feldon says this, it's only when you're actively kind to someone who is not kind to you that you see the true power of Christ-like kindness. This is how the early church grew. Their discipline of meeting together, worshiping, growing, and serving impacted them and their communities because they were demonstrating the kindness of God through Jesus Christ. That's the only way that this can happen. It will not necessarily change them but it will change you. Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ and God forgave you. And that's where we start. So I have two assignments for you as we get ready to close out today. The first assignment is, examine your spiritual habits of togetherness. Have you slipped a little bit? How about your worship? You realize that uh, nowadays the uh, total church attendance in the United States is going down. It's not necessarily because there are fewer Christians, although that's part of it. Most of it is fewer Christians are attending church regularly. We see that here. If everyone who claimed to be a part of this church came every week, it would be Easter every week. We would have close to 5,000 people every week. So we know we could do better with that. Summertime is a really good time to say, I can worship God somewhere else. But there is something about the power of worshiping together, the encouragement that comes. Maybe you need to work on that. Maybe you need to work on the growing part. Maybe you've drifted away from studying the red letters. Maybe you need to be in a group or being mentored by someone who has been a little farther on their spiritual journey. That can happen. Maybe you need to serve. You're never more like Jesus when you serve. We have plenty of places for you to serve or you can serve any way that you can in the name of Jesus. Maybe you need to take an inventory of your spiritual habits. That's the first assignment and do what needs to be done there. The second one is to take the 30-day kindness challenge. Try the 30-day 
kindness challenge and see how it impacts you. And you might even be surprised how it impacts someone else. So, if you've seen the apple up, up here, it's not because I'm hungry and want a snack. It's what I want to remind you. You see, those practices, the spiritual practices and habits of gathering together like we talked about, are the soil in which the fruit grows. The fruit is our kindness. The fruit is our joy, our peace, our patience. The fruit is in the soil. So it's hard to have good fruit without good soil and good preparation. Now, I used to work in an orchard. And there's a lot of work that goes into growing an apple, let me tell you. It starts years and years and years before you ever see an apple. Preparing the soil, getting the right kinds of trees, waiting for them to grow and mature and begin to uh, have fruit. And, and, and before you see this in the supermarket, there's a lot of stuff that goes on even after that. I was an apple picker. I know. I used to climb up in the trees after the, the professionals left and pick everything they left and all the stuff off the ground. There's a lot of work in that. And you sort them and stack them, put them, and, and ship them to the stores and clean them and all the stuff. And when you see that big stack of shiny apples, that's the end. That's the end of a very long preparation process, which is our own spiritual development and our own spiritual habits. But how can you tell which apple to buy? If you see a bunch of spots on it, are you likely to buy that apple? Uh-uh, no. The skin is the only thing you can see and, and, and really judge whether anything's on the inside. The goodness of what might be on the inside. The skin of this apple is like kindness. Sometimes the only way that people see Jesus is through you. You're that outside covering. And if it's rotten and they say, well, those people have been to church. It's not a very good representation of the kind of fruit that we need to bear. I'm hoping the next time you see an apple, you'll think about what kind of fruit we all bear and how kindness is that gateway into helping people understand who Jesus is. Without even preaching a sermon, we can bring closer, people closer to him. Jesus said, by, ev by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Richard Foster said, love is not communicated in the big events, but in the small acts of kindness. I best honor God by treating people the way Jesus treats me. And that's our challenge. Let's not let the summer be a time of slump, but let's let the summer be a time of re-engaging ourselves in spiritual practices and practicing kindness so that we might reflect the love of Jesus to everyone that we see. We're going to sing a song, a decision song at your, at your place in space right now. Just commit yourself to being more like Jesus and maybe take that challenge to be kinder. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.